Corpus Christi Solidarity Network is an organization made up of coastal band activists committed to anti-racist, anti-sexist, anti-fascist, anti-war, anti-transphobic, anti-homophobic, anti-ableist, pro-union, pro-environment, pro-worker, and pro-people organizing activism and, frankly, agitation. Workers, students, and the parents are often too busy to engage in or plug into every struggle. Our goal is to centralize organizing efforts so people of all walks of life are able to participate in class struggle in whatever way they can. Rallying behind the classic slogans, from each according to their ability to each according to their need, and an injury to one is an injury to all, we do our best to make sure our work is accessible to, inclusive of, and beneficial to all. Part of our project is our zine, Gulf Wars, our CC Soul media channel on YouTube, and this podcast you're listening to right now. We are not here to give a voice to the voiceless. We're here to amplify the voices that are underrepresented or completely shut out by a system not built for us. We are not voiceless, and neither are you. Activism is not an exercise in dialogue and ideas. It is a genuine struggle for political power, and we believe that power belongs to the people. Okay, so we've got uh, four of us here for this podcast. Uh, I guess if y'all want to go around the room and introduce yourself. You know me, Raul. (laughs) Oh, hey, I'm Chloe. (laughs) Nice to meet you. Oh, hey, I'm Cody. Nice to meet you. Hi, Hector. I'm Zach. Great, great. Cool. Well, I'm Hector, and you can start when you want, or I don't know if you want to... Yeah, we're actually going to start uh, off by reading a bio um, about you. <laughs> that It's the one that we use for the immigration forum, if that's cool. Uh, sure. Hector Guzman Lopez is the coordinator of Programming Borders, Border, Border Workers United. Take Border it. Workers United is composed of the Labor Justice Committee in El Paso and the Fuerza de Valle Workers Center in the Rio Grande Valley. Hector coordinates activity with Fuerza de Valle, educating, organizing, and advocating with low-wage workers to better workplace conditions, to defend and increase workers' rights, to win back wages for working people and families. Fuerza de Valle has been instrumental in winning over 350,000 in unpaid wages in the last four years outside of litigation. It is proud to be part of movement who has won millions for working people and is at the front lines of the workers' rights struggle. Fuerza de Valle holds weekly wage theft orientations and conducts vigorous outreach in the community. Hector can be reached at fuercedevalle at gmail.com. All right. Thanks for joining us, Hector. (laughs) Um, So I guess just to start off, do you want to give us a a little rundown of what Fuerza del Valle is and kind of like how y'all got started and what made y'all want to start something like that up? Okay, sure. That, that sounds great. Um, yeah, it's important, I, I guess, to see the history of, of our worker center and not just the worker center here in the Valley, but pretty much most worker centers in, in the United States. The, the worker center phenomena is relatively new, um, last 20, 30 years. I mean, there's always been organizations that fight for workers that are outside of the union scope or um, what are termed in the movement excluded workers, workers that are deemed non-unionizable, sometimes because they don't have their rights, like farm workers and domestic workers. They're not protected by labor law. 
but other times just because of the nature of the work, for example, Latino migrant construction workers that don't have a permanent employer, it's not a permanent shop, they have uh, multiple employers throughout the year, multiple sites, it's very, very difficult to organize. Uh, and other workers too. Um, so worker centers are kind of like a grassroots response to that, organizing uh, for defense of working people that usually are unprotected. And like other areas here in the Rio Grande Valley, um, community organizations uh, com that compose the Eco Voice Network were being swamped with working uh, people that were coming to their doors, like asking for support with, you know, unpaid labor claims, sexual harassment claims, unjust firing, injuries, all sorts of labor issues. And so the Eco Voice Network very keenly decided that they needed we needed a worker center. This is around in 2010 when the conversation starts. And by 2011, 2012, we managed to get some funds to start a, a coordinating activity. Um, so it was really a grassroots community response to defend working people. And I have really nowhere else to go because of either their uh, immigration status or because they are just a vulnerable sector. For example, uh, a lot of times workers that get super exploited are also like ex-felons or people with criminal records that can't get any work except work where they are super exploited. Or elderly workers too, right? Like we see that a lot. Um, but yeah, we are a grassroots response to uh, the super exploitation in the border. And we've been around for a while. Now we are over 200 members from Brownsville to uh, Rio Grande City. And we've won back hundreds of thousands of dollars through uh, direct actions. And really, more importantly, I think we're creating a safe space for working people to organize. So I guess one question I do have also is, um, since I guess the Worker Center phenomenon is kind of fairly new, how did y'all, like, what did y'all do to get started? How did y'all know what sort of questions to ask? And how did you go about approaching workers who... I guess traditionally are left out of the kind of protections other workers enjoy within uh, our economy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to give some uh, ba more background and just talk about the general movement, I think now there's over 200 worker centers nationwide. Most major cities have some. Bigger cities like New York City, LA have multiple ones. Houston should have multiple ones, but I think it's, there's only one. Some worker centers cater to a specific workforce like uh, day laborers, Las Esquinas, the corners where they wait for work every day, uh, hoping somebody will hire them. Some some of the first worker centers started organizing the corners in Las Esquinas, specifically with that workforce, or like the coalition of Immokalee workers that concentrates specifically with tomato pickers. So some worker centers are more focused. Ours is not like that. We are more general, like people come with problems and we decide which case to organize, which case to refer. So we started off, and, and this is my recommendation for people that want to genuinely uh, support other working people. We started off more like a, a resource center, right? Like um, weekly uh, know your rights clinics, uh, orientations where we talk about basic labor rights, tools available to workers, and then we document the abuse. And, and we document to see there's more extreme abuse like labor trafficking, or, or to see what's a good case for legal aid or for a private attorney or, or whatnot, right? Um, 
And we started off like that. And by the time you know it, we, and we very, when we started, we knew we wanted to create a base or we wanted, our, our whole point was not to win back wages. Our point was to identify leaders and start a movement and help start a movement, help workers organize a movement. So throughout the years, that's exactly what we're doing. We are identifying leaders, workers that are fighting for their wages because it's wrong to, to get it cheated, but also feel a stronger calling to, to build a movement to stop this and to let the employers know that you can't mess around with and disrespect our families. Um, so so we started off, as I answer your question, just providing basic services, uh, basic education, documenting. And, and when we started, we, we were lucky. We had uh, Elliot Tucker, an amazing lawyer. He's now in uh, Houston. Amazing, uh, not regardless of how he is as a person, but amazing because he was not afraid of employers and he would sue whoever messed with workers. He even sued the, the city of McAllen because they did not pay um, some people that were trimming palm trees at, at the park. Um, and that allowed that allowed us, to build, allowed us to build a reputation and workers to start coming. Through your process, you said you started off more as a resource center. Did you find that there was an overwhelming amount of of people coming forward uh, saying that they were their, their, their rights were being violated and that they were being abused by their employers? And is that kind of what spurned you towards uh, your work in reclaiming wages? When I heard about the Workers' Center, I had a friend that was an organizer with one of these entities, and she told me about it, and I was like, okay, that's right on. That seems like what community organizations should be doing. So I actually started volunteering like a couple of months before, like a position, we even had money to hire someone for the worker center. Uh, but I was already part of the, the the workers' rights movement, doing solidarity work with different campaigns on campus, at churches, union halls, whatnot. And so it was just a natural thing for me to to start supporting our community here. You know what I mean? Like instead of uh, being in solidarity with workers in Dallas or in Mokali or other areas, also start supporting our community in the valley and creating worker power. Can you go into, because I know uh, one thing you've, I, I know when I've talked to you before about this, you've told me before, like, you know, prior to the Ingleside case, you've always been, like, getting several, like, uh, reports from Corpus, our area, about wage death issues and exploitation going on. Can you speak about, like, what prevents workers from coming forward with these sorts of issues? Why they're not going to, I guess, more traditional uh, organizations to try and and win back their wages? There's many ways, many tools to win back your wages. Uh, obviously, a uh, lawsuit, but um, not plenty of lawyers that are brave or want to take small cases. That's a problem with them. And, and workers are not complaining to the Department of Labor or the Texas Workforce Commission, which are state institutions, one of the state, one of the federal level. And, and their task is to, to you know, to review claims and, and investigate and, and help workers win back their wages. They're not going because they don't know they exist. As simple as that. And then we're providing that education too. A lot of workers don't know that PWC exists. They don't know that DOL exists. And even if they don't have documents, they can file a complaint and win back wages. Uh, a lot of workers that know they exist don't go because uh, they are highly lacking in, in enforcement. You know, a lot of times they, they cannot do anything. We, we have a ridiculous situation here where sometimes these agencies refer workers to us. You know, we're a small, poor people organization, and we have federal and state agencies referring workers to us, you know, when they have so many resources. 
So, uh, so many times uh, these uh, entities um, are inefficient. They don't provide results, so workers don't trust them and don't go there. Lawsuits, you know, who can afford a lawyer? It's hard to find lawyers. Um, and when people see us in action and hear from other workers of our victories, they, they kind of have that trust, you know. It's, I think it's a lot, it's a lot, uh, the lack of education is worse in the areas surrounding Corpus to Laredo, you know, the more rural areas, like where all the petroleum workers are at. There's a lot of farm workers out there as well, which we are very interested in doing outreach eventually. Um, another question I had, though, because uh, you mentioned er- earlier uh, super exploitation, and I've heard you speak about that before, like at our at our forum. Can you kind of describe what super exploitation is? Yeah, yeah. See, that's that's something else. So, so we're talking about we document so many cases exploitation and all this. People would assume like, okay, so maybe somebody didn't get overtime, a week pay, maybe a couple of hours. There's situations that are really out of this world that might not even appear like in Mexico or other countries. For example, the the what, what seems to be the norm for domestic workers, at least here in the Rio Grande Valley in the border area, um, you see in newspapers people advertise job openings for domestic work and offering $150 a week or $200 a week, which is not for 20 hours, it's for 60, 70, 80 hours, you know. The mathematics are pretty simple. Uh, domestic workers are literally getting paid less than $2 an hour. That's a normative uh, practice in, that's in the Valley. That's super exploitation. When domestic workers are guaranteed by law minimum wage, it's insane, really. It's insane that people are getting paid less than $2 an hour. Uh, we've seen situations where workers five weeks, no pay, six weeks, no pay, nine weeks, you know, the worst uh, and the exploitation, if you want to see it like a spectrum, the worst is, of course, labor trafficking uh, or uh, modern-day slavery, right? When workers are held against their will, uh, whether it be through force, uh, manipulation, psychological intimidation, uh, fraud, or whatnot, it's still labor trafficking. Where workers are compelled to work against their will, it happens a lot more than people... Uh, know or would like to think about, but it's a reality and, and we usually tell people, well, our apologies for making your life a little less uh, comfortable, but that's the reality in Texas. Um, we've seen here at the Workers' Center eight labor trafficking cases in the last year alone. Um, that's outrageous, you know, like that's where we, slavery, right, <laughs> in our land. Uh, that's the super exploitation we're dealing with. Um, and then there's situations where they're just Outright, I mean, labor trafficking is bad enough, but there are situations where that are extremely dangerous, where workers are beaten, uh, beaten to the point where they're hospitalized for weeks, or bones broken, or stabbed, or pistol whipped. Those situations are very real, and we have, uh, like I said, unfortunately documented many of them. I, uh, I'd kind of like you to speak a little bit more about that forced labor, the forced labor happening, you know, right here in Texas. But also I was wondering, in such like an extreme circumstance, what have been your, 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 your best tactics for serving justice and for, for actually holding those companies accountable uh, legally and morally for um, this like slavery and abuse? Yeah, yeah, that's, well, that's, 
that's a difficult struggle. Um, but definitely um, for workers, when they are undocumented and they're victims of labor trafficking or human trafficking um, in general, they uh, they can apply for a T visa for being a victim of trafficking. So we partner up with uh, Texas Rio Grande Legal Aid, uh, Stacy Jonas out of Austin. She's amazing. Um, she's there. She leads that program to help uh, victims of, of tra- labor trafficking. And they also try to uh, win back their wages through litigation when it's possible. Because sometimes these situations, you know, they are very, the employer might disappear, the employer might not have any assets, et cetera. Uh, you know, we would have to look at each situation. There, what is lacking and what we hope to do uh, in the coming years is build a strong coalition with law enforcement, with community to prosecute employers that engage in, in these practices. We need to prosecute these people um, here and in El Paso. Our sister office in El Paso works closely with the FBI to go after some of these cases over there. Um, the organizer over there is Lydia Cruz. She's amazing. Um, the Labor Justice Committee has literally rescued many workers, much more workers than here, that are caught in, uh, in, in labor trafficking and sometimes sex trafficking, right? Um, but there is definitely lacking education. Every year we have a conference focused on human trafficking because we, there is that lack of education amongst law enforcement and the general public. And we hope we do to push the situation to a point where we can, if a case comes in, we can immediately go uh, to prosecute and, 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 you know, get people some justice at least. Um, and remember, this is a border. This is a border zone. This is an area where so many goods and people travel through. We shouldn't forget that. Like, we're not in uh, Kansas. We're right at the border. There's a constant flux of people and goods all the time. Some of those people might be uh, transported against their will or might be going to ranches where they work against their will or whatnot. Um, yeah, so that happens a lot. And Mexico, too. Mexico, uh, I think, is one of the countries in Latin America with the most labor trafficking. Um, last year, in November, there was a ranch in Coahuila where 82 farm workers were held against their will for over a month, not paid. A couple of them escaped, and they got the police and off to rescue other workers. That ranch, just get this, how outrageous it is. I can send you other articles. You can check them out. That ranch is connected to an agricultural consortium, some sort of huge multinational that has a warehouse in McAllen and San Antonio. And they're bringing in produce from Mexico for markets here for HEBs, Kroger's, whatnot, you know. So that's, you know, we need to do something about that. How can it be that a company involved in slavery is doing business in the U.S.? That, that shouldn't be. Yeah, I don't know. I, I went off, off there, but we do need a lot of, uh, we do need to work to, to prosecute em, em, employers that engage in this. And it, it, it varies, you know, it's, you can have regular workers that are somehow caught in a scheme, or you can have guest workers. It's a big one with guest workers too, people that come with special visas. H2A, H2B, or domestic workers uh, as well. H2A is for agriculture workers. H2Bs are for like general workers, roofers, whatnot. A lot of times they are also victims of trafficking. I had a, I had a question because you, 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 you bring up the, I guess, the aspect of immigration to it as well. Um, but I know the Worker Center, you, 
organizers around a lot of different issues when it comes to immigration, but also uh, y'all have done some solidarity work with like police brutality, anti-police brutality groups, um, LGBT groups. So how does how does your work tie into I guess the intersections of all these these issues and and how they contribute towards the uh, exploitative aspects of, of of our system? I guess if that makes sense. <laughs> For us, uh, everything is a working class issue pretty much, you know, and workers that are most vulnerable are usually uh, communities that are most, uh, that feel the most racism or the most hatred, you know, or that are criminalized the most, right? Latino workers historically have always been criminalized. Um, they've always been seen as criminals. Uh, there's tons of police brutality from Border Patrol, you know, um, they, they get away with outrageous things like murder, rape, all sorts of things happen at the hands of Border Patrol, and there is no accountability. And we're part of a coalition called the Southern Border Communities Coalition from San Diego to Brownsville, and one of our priorities is uh, to revitalize the border and to hold uh, Border Patrol accountable when they uh, violate human rights. Uh, you know, you probably heard that in multiple areas of the border, Border Patrol, when kids throw rocks, responds with live rounds with, with bullets, and sometimes they kill people on the other side. That's totally outrageous. That's just one example. Many times when they pick up vulnerable people out in the brush, they take advantage of them, beat them, or sexually assault them, or other situations, and we need that to lead uh, them to be held accountable. Tying that into like the struggle against police brutality, uh, the same thing, you know, especially now it's something that I, I feel like we need to talk more about because uh, SB4 coming into effect and the possibilities for for more brutality to be out there from police and ICE and Border Patrol, you know, um, we, we need to watch that, watch for that. And like I said, I, uh, you know, the members of the Worker Center are, are you know, they vary in identity and, and where they're coming from. And, and you know, we have a lot of members that are part of the LGBTQ community. And, and they, you know, we've seen that you're more vulnerable towards a lot of discrimination when you're a part of certain sectors of society. Can you give us a summary of, like, how you heard about the case in Ingleside and, like, what stood out to you and made you reach out for it? Yeah, yeah, by all means. Uh, so the... Eddie Canales gave me a call that uh, he received, Eddie Canales from the South Texas Human Rights Center, that he received a call uh, or information from a news station regarding these workers that having received pay. And I was like, okay, let's start documenting what's happening there. And it was a large group. And eventually I got to meet with them. We planned this action, which was good for exposing some of the players, some of the companies. And to get some uh, some attention from some folks that might help us, uh, like legal aid, um, with maybe a legal route there. And also, it's important. It was important for us, even though it's so far away, you know, two hours away, because um, the coastal Bend area needs needs to uh, start supporting working people, you know, um, that are going through this. And we anticipate in that there is going to be. I think there already is of unpaid labor as the reconstruction era comes into full bloom. 
It happened with Katrina, and it usually happens after disasters where you have uh, predatory employers that come in just to make a quick buck off our backs, you know. And so, so it was important to, to support that and continue to support that, and we're continue, continuing to support that, and hopefully we can get these, uh, we can work together with these workers to get back their wages. And um, and if not, at least, you know, make uh, an example out of these companies, which we should, and we always, I mean, that's such a powerful tactic for us to expose the exploiters and, and, and you know, let everybody know this is happening and we're not going to tolerate it. Yeah, that's the story behind uh, the Corpus Christi uh, workers out there in Ingleside, which is the first uh, situation we get from the reconstruction. Because they started right in the beginning of September, I think, right after Harvey. Was there anything about this case that kind of stuck out to you in particular, or were there any similarities you saw between this case and other cases you've worked on in the past? Oh, yeah, most definitely. It's, it's the classic, the classic uh, construction worker case. Uh, where you have a shitty self-contractor that doesn't pay uh, the large crew. You don't know if the subcontractor is telling the truth or not, and they say that the bigger company that hasn't paid them. You go to the bigger company, they say they pay them. And, you know, they're just throwing the ball at each other. The workers are confused. Who do we go after? Who do we fight? And it's tons of money. We're talking about easily over $80,000, you know, that somebody pocketed here and are refusing to pay. And we've seen that in cases. We've seen that in school contracts here in the Valley. Like a couple years back, we had tons of cement workers that worked at multiple school districts. They all happened to contact the same general contractor and with the same subcontractor, and these workers didn't get their pay, you know. And it's it's really, uh, it's really outrageous, right, because they're constructing our state. Um, and those buildings uh, really have our prices because they're going to be used for generations. Same thing with the hotel, right? How much profit is the, the hotel owner going to get from the work of these men compared to not paying them at all, right? Um, but it's a typical uh, construction worker case. And, and something for construction workers and workers in general, know, know who you're working for. A lot of times uh, workers do not know who the employer is. Yeah, what I what I tell is take a photo of their truck, you know, their license plate. If it's under their name, their name will come out, right? If you can go to uh, and check that out and see who it is, because we have also had cases where people get fake checks under different names, you know. Um, and make sure you know who the other employers are in case something happens. Because the worst thing is when something happens, you have no information. Do you have any suggestion suggestions on what like? organizations like CC Soul can like do to best serve exploited workers such as the ones in Ingleside like just what are everyday things that we can do whether it's like speaking out like all the time against these companies or just compiling resources for them or even just like basic organizing yeah there's a lot there's a lot that can be done it, it doesn't take much uh, and so I would suggest analyze what you can do don't bite too much, like realize your limitations, right? I mean, you're not, if you don't have the capacity to look at 50 intakes in a week, you're not going to be able to do that, right? Um, or 50 cases, right? Like, uh, just and see what you can provide. But I would definitely advise to start doing on a regular basis uh, education sessions for workers on what is simple stuff. I can send you uh, what we do every Tuesday. What's minimum wage? What's overtime? Talk about contracts, immigration status, 
where can I go if, if, if I don't get paid, provide a resource list, even aid workers and going and filing those complaints, you know, um, simple things like that, you will start, uh, people start to come, especially if your location is in an area where there's a lot of working people. And stick to it, be constant too, um, and people will know eventually, like, oh, every Tuesday I can go there, or every Wednesday, or whatever. Um, and for for us, it was, you know, like, we don't have a lot. We, we are a foreign organization, and it's okay because uh, we strongly believe that our takes is consciousness and commitment, you know, and, and if we're truly committed, we're going to see how to do things and, and learn how, how to support working people and, at the end of the day, help build community power to transform uh, the situation because uh, we don't want to be – we're not a collecting agency, you know, and we don't want to just be uh, turning up little fires all the time. We need a systemic change, whether that be that we push our police departments to uh, to arrest bad employers or uh, have transformative city ordinances where, uh, for example, uh, there's no reason why Ingleside and Corpus Christi and or Brownsville McAllen allow companies that have a, a record of not paying workers to do business in their cities. They shouldn't, right? You don't allow crooks to do business in your city. They shouldn't. And that's something simple cities can do. Then nobody's doing it, though. Or get them to talk about the issues. You know, no, there's not a single mayor in the Valley or city council person that has mentioned the issue of unpaid labor. It's ridiculous. So, you know, that's the advocacy portion. But, yeah, uh, I mean, if you all want to support workers or other people, go for it. You know, like, see what you have. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of worker centers that you can get material from. We have a lot of material also, you know, you can collaborate. Let's do something. Well, I think uh, that's a good good, good place to leave off. Was, were there anything, was there anything else you want to uh, just, you know, mention about this case or about the center that you just kind of want to leave people with or about, you know, just the, the entire issue itself? Yeah, well, I, I think it's, it's, people should be clear that not to just throw this to the side, like, oh, this is just an issue of undocumented workers. It's not. It's an issue that everybody needs to care about. Um, not just undocumented workers get exploited. And it's not just about the workers that get exploited. It's about all of us benefiting from this system. We all eat food. We all go to restaurants. We all enjoy buildings constructed by construction workers. And we all live in a system that's allowed to work because there's domestic workers that take care of homes and families or professionals to go out and do their job. It's, we have a responsibility if we want to be ethical to support vulnerable workers, support and transform our society, right? So, yeah, so it's important that people don't brush it off as just an immigrant issue. It's not. It's a Texas issue. It's an issue that everybody should be doing something about. Right on. Well, thank you again, Hector, for uh, for talking uh, talking with us. Uh, it's been a real pleasure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no problem. Like any other uh, question, you can email me or, or whatnot or any, you know. We, something, um, I mean, like I said, money is not important. We have a lot of connections with a lot of worker centers also, if, if you ever need, you know, something. And somewhere, some, I can recommend some worker centers out there that are amazing, you know, like to look at, look at their model and all that. Um, yeah. Awesome. Well, this has been uh, Hector Guzman Lopez with Fuerza del Valle, and this has been uh, 
our interview with him. Yeah. <laughs> Thank right. you, Hector. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, Hector. Talk to you later, man. Yeah, you have the picket line. Y yo les digo, ese güey no paga. Y llegó el periodista y yo les digo, ese güey no paga. Y llegó el periodista y yo les digo, ese güey no paga. Y llegó el periodista y yo les digo, ese güey no paga. Y llegó el periodista y yo
salió su Sancho y yo le digo Ese bueno paga, ese bueno paga, ese bueno paga, ese bueno paga, no paga ese güey Yo, this is Jenny Hey, this is Abel Uh, this is Raul And I'm Zach And we're Chillin' <laughs> and talking about wage theft and workers' defense today. Yeah, so kind of to wrap up uh, what Hector was saying, there's a lot of really shitty things going on in Texas that a lot of us are unaware of. Um, and there, uh, the people that are being exploited often do not know where to turn. Hopefully, uh, we as an organization can step in to fill that void. Um, but I think it's, gonna, it's important to continue the conversation about um, how much exploitation is going on, how a lot of it is swept under the rug, and how a lot of it is condoned by the state um, because it ultimately serves the ruling class's purposes. Yeah, and I want to be clear that like when we talk about filling that void, I mean, we don't mean like substituting ourselves for actual, um, you know, like labor struggles, right? We mean like participating in them, certainly like being a place where workers are being an organization that like workers can turn to um, when this sort of stuff happens, but mostly just like amplifying their voices and, you know, what they feel like is best in terms of struggle, which is really how we've tried to navigate this entire Ingleside um, wage theft thing. And then subsequently this, um, which we can talk more about, um, you know, this, this case with this worker who was arrested, Andres. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think that that's really important to me is that, you know, we're not trying to, you know, be saviors. We're, we're out here dealing with bosses and stuff, too. Yeah, I think that's kind of what, what's always been inspiring to me about an organization like Cuesta de because they really bring yeah. people in, and it's, you know, about building leaders, like you said, that kind of lead the movement on their own. And at the same time, oh, at the same time, um, you know, just kind of like it spreads that way. It brings in more people who they see as, you know, ordinary people standing up, sure. you know, against all the odds that they are faced, you know, by, you know, not just the the, the situation that they're in um, by their employer, but also by like the failings of our, you know, state <laughs> to kind of address or, you know, the loopholes, I guess you could call them in the system that allow this kind of exploitation to go on. So yeah, I mean, I think it's it's definitely important that we don't approach it as like providing a service or anything like sure. that, or you know we're gonna get you in contact with so and so. Don't worry, we'll we'll make sure things are okay. No, it's it's about empowering workers, um, and it's about you know showing them how to kind of you know self organize. Right, self organize. Right, I think that's important. Is encouraging work, encouraging workers to self organize. Because traditional labor structures can't always be depended on, especially when we're talking about undocumented workers, migrant workers, like Hector pointed out, the people who are unorganizable or whatever. I don't remember the term he used, but yeah, I think it's all contingent on encouraging self-organization. In the same way we organize ourselves in this organization, just sort of reflecting that in uh, the workers' struggles. And I think that's why we even, like, because, you know, Hector has told me before he's heard reports from Corpus of this sort of activity going on, obviously, 
But like, I think that's why we heard about Ingleside because you know these were workers that did take it upon themselves to not take it and <laughs> not, not take yeah. the fact that you know their boss or the employees are pieces of shit <laughs> that literally were taking advantage of the devastation that happened in this community to run in, make a quick buck, and leave without you know having any compensation towards the folks who were actually doing the work on the ground. You know, they were like, no, we're we're not going to take this. We're going to yeah. stand here. We're going to make sure we're going to try and hold you accountable. Which is what's so interesting about a lot of the responses that um, we've gotten with people we've shared, you know, the video and the, the story more broadly with is just like, well, why don't workers just use like these traditional channels in which you file complaints and, you know, um, the things that are already kind of like codified or whatever. And it's like, because it unfortunately... Um, doesn't work those things more often than not are kind of just symbolic um which we've found um certainly mike could probably speak a little more than that um but also you look at these workers who did stand up and the response they received was uh cops right um one of them was arrested for a terroristic threat um and that's a, a worker we've kept in contact with we went to his um what should have been his court date, it was rescheduled. Um, that's a mess. So, you know, maybe we can speak a little bit more um, to that, too, is just, like, this This exemplifies exactly why people more often than not don't make a fuss about it because there's so much red tape in terms of trying to, like, formally, you know, hold your, your bosses accountable for this sort of thing. And when you, you try to, you know, demonstrate and do things that are a little more, um, you know, do a little more troublemaking and rabble-rousing, um, you know, you're, you're met with the state. <laughs> so in terms of Ingleside, it's not unique to Ingleside, but certainly one sure. of those things central to the situation in Ingleside is was definitely racism. Absolutely. Uh, so in the video, you can see that the workers clearly say that, like, white workers were paid. Mm-hmm and the non-white workers weren't paid. And that I feel like that's always at the heart of these kinds of issues when it comes to migrant workers or sure. foreign workers. Um, and it's why organizing in the South is so important because like, we're not heavily unionized. The unions that we have, again, are mostly symbolic. I think they're important and we should still fight for them, um, but their their power is incredibly limited um, in the state of Texas, right? Um, but I, I, you know, had those white workers who were paid uh, stuck around and also been part of the demonstration, also been a part of making sure that everyone got paid, I think we'd be in a different position right now. Um, so we have a lot of work to do here, right? The the um, And again, like you said, I don't think it's unique to Ingleside, but I do think that there are conditions that we have to navigate differently than folks who are doing this sort of work in a lot of other places. Yeah, it's true. I agree. I agree with that. Which is why, like, organizations like Fuerza de Valle and the kind of model that they approach it in is, I think, integral, especially when trying to get the ball rolling on here. Because you kind of have to work outside the system in certain yeah, ways. absolutely. Right. I think it's important to build institutions independent of conventional labor structures and because they're not dependable things like the department of labor 
they are capitalist institu institutions, so they're not that dependable in the long run. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. It just seems strange to me that written into a lot of uh, proposed immigration reform is, um, like, legislation intent on making it so more companies are held accountable for hiring undocumented workers for possibly getting, um, like, exploiting people. But often, you know, even with the drastic changes that happen um, with the Homeland Security and the strengthening of, of American sovereignty, uh, you still have cases like this happening just as frequently, if not more. I mean, those laws, those, those the, the governmental institutions meant to protect American jobs and American labor and American way of life, as it's touted um, in practice, you know, do nothing but to just be a face, just just to be a, an act of symbolism. It's optics. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> nice word usage. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> So if you're wondering why we're doing fundraising today <laughs> and why you should give us money, oh. it's because one of the things that we immediately took up um, was this worker who was arrested, Andres, who's really dope, actually, and is, was clearly targeted because he's one of the leaders. Um, so one, give us your money, because that's the sort of thing we do with it, is um, help bail workers out and ensure that they have legal defense. Um, I don't know why I said one, like there's a two. That's the end. Just give <laughs> yeah. us your money. Um, but, yeah, I mean, now there's all sorts of other... There's another bogus charge that was not mentioned in the video, which is that they're accusing him of making bomb threats in a language that he doesn't speak, uh, first of all. But this has come later. I mean, the, his bosses haven't produced anything, to my knowledge, concrete that could prove that he's making... Like, did they even say whether it came, like, in the mail or via phone or text or email or anything? No, no right? They just... There were two different versions of the threat, actually. One of them was a bomb threat, whatever that means, who was called in, mailed in. And the other version was that the worker threatened the boss on the site by making a gun... Sure. Motion with his hand. No, yeah, but so. but the 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 threat, the bomb threat, supposedly was he was accused of that later, right? That wasn't even well. Even that at the day, time. there were both. That was brought up, uh, like in one of the videos, like the raw video that you can hear him kind of talk about that. Uh -huh. Okay, it's in Spanish though, so I, sure. I don't understand too much about it. But you can hear him say something like "bomba bomba," but like. Uh, you know, they were like, He's, that dude's fucking lying. <laughs> you know, that's just yeah. uh, literally just something that they're making up. Which, because they kind of, the, the bosses know that the cops are going to be on do. this. Well, I mean, the bosses know that the cops are going to defer to them. Because yeah. that's what cops do. <laughs> right. Right. Um, <laughs> they're not going to, you know, it, it's, yo. You're just in time. We're wrapping up. Say your final thoughts. Tommy Lauren. <laughs> oh, Just geez. kidding, it's Cody. They're way cooler than, than Tommy Lauren. Oh, they, uh, I thought you wanted me to talk about Tommy Lauren. <laughs> oh, yeah, okay, your final thoughts on Tommy Lauren. She sucks. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. And Again. Yeah, I have anything you want to bring back from our discussion uh, from the recording? 
Yeah, so yeah, like HB and Waterbury doesn't allow other workers like unionize. Like there's been like instances like in Austin right now where like workers are being threatened as well as like they're trying to keep them, like prevent them from speaking with the Austin Socialist Collective. Because like I was talking to my friend Nicole and like they said, they, like they felt as since they're a communist organization, they've been trying to help like these workers unionize and whatnot. Yeah. Oh, not to mention, uh, whenever Hector told us about that farm where HEB gets the produce from, and they only pay him like $2.50 a day, which is really terrible. Mm -hmm. You wonder why the produce prices are so cheap. Right? There's no such thing as free anything. Someone was exploited to give it to you. Yeah. Usually whenever I talk about, like, like, I guess like the example how everything's inherently political, and I always bring up like an avocado from HEB. Because nobody ever thinks an avocado is political. On toast. Oh, uh, with mm. pink Himalayan and sea salt. Oh my god. That shit is fine though. That's I will so say. Good. Get some um, like lime. That's so bourgeois. It's my shit. <laughs> Says the guy here. I'm here for the luxury communism. Get out. Oh, fuck you. By the way, okay. something that was not included in the final video, but is just best. You doesn't have me included, but the best classic Mike thing was when he was like telling the workers, "We gotta organize. We gotta do this." He was it's like, true. Wait, wait, it's <laughs> 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 It is on video. I've never seen it, but it's just a vape pen. Uh, one of my favorite moments captured. It <laughs> is totally on video. Roll wow! It was like well, a really great I, speech, I too. I listened to it, not knowing that it's I really actually like, watched the entire thing. Oh my god, Mike, do you have a Karl Marx cosplay in your closet as well? I have is a Karl Marx like furry costume. <laughs> I'm uncomfortable. Can we stop? Weird, but all, all your entire body. This day's though. <laughs> I, I just mold my chest hair into Karl Marx. I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with everything about this. <laughs> this is all staying in, right? Yeah. It's it's actually live streaming right now. We're simulcasting, so straight it's, to it's the world. We need it. Yeah, we need proof so that when we expel you from the organization, there's audio. Um, to point to why. <laughs> I mean, I think though that that's the work that we should be doing. Really, is getting cosplay. No, not <laughs> cosplay, but certainly, like we've been talking about, encouraging workers to self-organize yeah. when these kinds of issues sure. come up. Yeah. Um, and there's not really anybody in this area that's doing that work. So, and it's a good mm -hmm. thing to be taking our cues from veteran organizations like Fuerza. Um, because it's a learning process for us, sure. too, I think. And we're all workers, so mm -hmm. we can benefit from the whole process as well. Absolutely. Um, certainly, one of the things Hector talked about is uh, workers not really being conscious of their rights, especially workers who are sort of on the outside of you know, migrant workers and undocumented workers and things like that. They do still have rights as mm -hmm. workers, um, so I think that educating workers and ourselves about what our rights are in the workplace and our rights to organize is pretty fundamental to this kind of work in the long run. Yeah. 
honestly, whenever I was talking, like, some workers, like, me and another co-worker, uh, speak up, me and another co-worker is, like, speaking up, like, some are, like, I guess, like, the older co-workers have been there forever, and they did not know that, like, they had the right to unionize, mm-hmm. and, like, they just didn't think anything of it whenever, like, they signed that employee contract, and they're like, oh, okay. Well, yeah, I mean, because when you're trying to get a job, that's all you're thinking about is, like, pay me. Right. <laughs> um, like, I'll sign whatever. Yeah, but, like, they don't realize. More on that. Yeah. It's like, they don't realize, <laughs> like, it was sad they don't realize, like, they could, like, get paid more and, like, get better benefits and, sure. like, better hours. Yeah, and I think that's why, you know, political education has value, right? Um, and I don't, I think that, you know, we need to be creative and we can't just keep relying on old methods of political education of like reading groups those are great it's my jam like invite me to your reading group I'm there um but yeah I mean we can't just rely on old forms of like political education but it is important right because people um do need to know like one history and like how possible um changes even when it's um you know, devastating to learn about a lot of labor history in a lot of ways. Um, but also just, you know, so like, yeah, you know, what what people's rights actually are and, you know, what we actually can do, even in a state like Texas, um, where it's incredibly difficult um, to organize around anything, um, but especially in the workplace, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, so this week, you know, we're talking about labor wars and labor history at our meeting and I'm really excited to, to see the discussion that comes out of that from our whole membership you know and whoever else happens to uh, come in you know like if we need like do other forms of like, like education we should do like a SoundCloud like mixtape mm. are we having a fraction meeting right now? <laughs> Like a podcast? No, like a mixtape. Like we rap about communism. Like we used to do with. Uh, oh, you missed us! Like actually you, having the the formalizing the rap section. That can that can be a segment. Yeah. Well, you want to do a bit? Yeah. <laughs> Not right now. So we need to drop a beat for you. Yeah. Um, I also need to hand you my rider before I perform. <laughs> it's not just anyone's beat. It's the people's beat. Damn. Nice. Uh, Nice. I still need my iron sickle chain. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> I don't get it. You know SoundCloud rappers? <laughs> I'm a SoundCloud rapper. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do you have clout? Yeah. That's all I have. <laughs> clout. Just create a beat out of all of Mike's grunts. It's <laughs> <laughs> actually very doable. <laughs> I don't want to live anymore. <laughs> it was it was fun while it lasted. Later dudes. <laughs> just with like little cuts of Mike's bourgeois. <laughs> <laughs> just bouge. Bouge. Bourgeois. Where's the picture of Steve Buscemi from like Spy Kids 2? Alright! <laughs> Wait, he was in that? <laughs> <laughs> what did he do? <laughs> Okay. Clap for ourselves. So I have no idea what the edited version of this is gonna sound like. So let me just apologize. One and two. Thank you for listening uh, to whatever happened. Maybe Zach will do a great job, and 
It will only be the most serious and politically useful things that we've said, and none of this gibberish that took place over the past five minutes. Who knows? Either way, uh, thanks for for listening to the sounds of our voices and the words we say. Do you know what the next one's going to be about that we can preview? We're going to talk about gay shit. Stay tuned for <laughs> gay, get, gay oh, shit. Episode three. We're going to get real queer, so... It's gonna be Liddy. <laughs> Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Literally. Until next time. Um, Show me that smile again. Oh my god. <laughs>